Good morning, Elevation. Uh, this past week, I had a chance to hang out with a bunch of you. Some of you at our casual picnic in person last Sunday afternoon, and that was just a good time. Um, and then Monday night, we got together, a number of us again, for the Enneagram workshop with Krista Hesselink, which was a really good opportunity for us to dive a little deeper into the themes that we're really just introducing here on Sunday mornings as part of this summer series. Just as a reminder, there is the second version of this workshop coming up at the end of August. More details will be coming your way soon. This summer, we are using the Enneagram as a model of jump, a jumping off point as we explore nine stories of fear and desire in the Bible that can help us to understand how we move in the world and what God wants to reveal to us along the way. Now, in recent weeks, I've been spending some time uh, talking to the kids kind of at the beginning of this sermon for those who are sticking around during the whole service. So this morning, what I'm going to ask you guys to do is grab a piece of paper, which is often the case, some kind of writing instrument. And I'm going to warn you ahead of time that this next piece, it might get a little smelly because I'm going to ask you to trace your foot on this paper. And don't try to cheat and keep your socks on. If you're wearing socks for some reason here in the middle of summer, take them off and get that pen and trace that foot in between all the toes. Uh, we want to see some good feet tracing there. Now, you can get that on the way, and then if you want to, you can color it in, but leave the rest of the page blank for now. We'll come back to that in a little later. So this morning in our Enneagram series, we are on number five, and we'll start off by saying that fives have a basic fear of being incompetent. Incompetent is another word for not having or showing the necessary skills to do something successfully. So if you're incompetent, you're not very good at something. Now, what makes this week different from the other nine weeks? Well, this is the number that I identify with. So it ups the stakes a little bit, right? When I say that fives have a basic fear of being incompetent, another way that you could hear that is, I have a basic fear of being incompetent. So it's a little more personal for me this week. There's a conversation that happens around our house every once in a while. Melissa will say something, and sometimes it's just to me, or sometimes it's when we have friends or family over. She'll say something about how Brandon is a perfectionist. Everything has to be just right. And I usually kind of respond by saying something like, it's not that I'm a perfectionist. I just want to do things properly. Now, as you might imagine, that kind of response doesn't usually go over well, but it's just the way that I guess as a five, I tend to perceive what I'm really after. Now, if you have to find, if you find that you have to explain why you do things the way you do, um, that's a good clue to you to pay attention because there's a good chance that there's something there for you to learn. If people around you are saying, why do you do that? Or if you find yourself saying, I do this or I act this way or I move this way in the world differently than other people, pay attention. There's something there to learn. Now, to avoid incriminating myself any further, we're going to put the spotlight back on Jeremiah. So the reading for this morning begins uh, with the word of the Lord coming to Jeremiah in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now, Jeremiah is the son of a priest. So right from the start, he has a unique vantage point. Actually, at our dinner table the other night, uh, we were talking and the kids were saying about how their friends refer to me as a priest. Like, I guess when they're talking about their parents and what they do for a living or whatever, they're always like, yeah, your father, the priest. Uh, they, I think, have just given up on correcting them and saying that I'm a pastor. But they also were saying that uh, their friends get, are confused. And sometimes they've asked the question, like, how does that work? Like, if your father is a priest, then how are you, like, because priests don't 
you know, and they say, you know, yes, he's allowed to be married. It's okay. Or and that solves everything. There's something interesting about growing up in a household where your father is the priest. And so that will come back. Uh, we'll come back to that in a few minutes from here. Um, so Jeremiah is the son of a priest. The word of the Lord came to me, he writes, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, the first part of that is just profound, such a beautiful, profound image that God has known us for as long as we've been, that he's formed us in the womb before anyone else knew us. God knew us. The Hebrew word translated formed here is also used in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 to speak of God forming man from the dust of the earth. And so you have this image of, of God doing something with intentionality, with purpose, and with love. Now, according to legend, which is always fun, legends are fun, according to legend, as soon as Jeremiah came out of the womb, he began to prophesy. Now, when I read about this, the first thing that came to my mind was the terrible 1989 movie, Look Who's Talking, where someone came up with a clever idea that what if we made a movie with a bunch of like babies and toddlers in it and we like dubbed their voices. So it was like you could imagine like what these babies were thinking. And so kind of at the beginning of the movie, you've got the baby in the womb and you hear what he's thinking and coming out of the womb and you hear what he's thinking and then kind of first experiences in the world, and you're like hearing what this baby's saying. But of course, the baby isn't actually speaking. Well, according to the legend, when Jeremiah came out of the room, the womb, he started speaking right away. He began to complain about the faithlessness of his mother. Now, a mother might expect that at some point in her child's life, they will, you know, be disrespectful or they won't show appreciation for them as a parent. But to have your brand newborn child come out and into the world and immediately start to say, you've been an unfaithful mother. I mean, that would be a really hard thing to deal with. So she confronted him and this brand new baby, Jeremiah, and said, Jeremiah, like you shouldn't. Well, she probably hadn't even named him by this point, to be honest. Um, baby, who I haven't even had time to name yet. Like, why are you being so disrespectful to me? And Jeremiah responded, oh, no, no. When I say mother, I mean Jerusalem. I mean, like, Jerusalem is being unfaithful. So the legend kind of around the story is that Jeremiah was a prophet right from the beginning. But if we want to stick with what the Bible has to say, uh, none of that happened. Uh, the first time that Jeremiah confronts this idea of being a prophet is many, many years later. So God speaks to him and Jeremiah's response is, alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. Now historians suggest that Jeremiah was somewhere between 17 and 20 years old when he heard this word from God. I have two children in that window and I think that they would respond the same way. If they heard a message that they are supposed to be a prophet to all of the nations in the world, they would probably be like, yeah, maybe not me. Maybe not right now. Come back to me in a, in a decade or so. We'll see how I'm feeling then. Jeremiah's reluctance was probably based in part on the near hopeless task of calling the nation back to following God. Again, like I said earlier, he had an inside scoop being the son of a priest, and he had this opportunity to witness just how difficult of a time the religious leaders of the time were having calling the people to be faithful. Maybe he thought about the prophets who had come before him. Maybe he thought about Jonah, who was called to share this message with people and was thrown overboard, went out at a ship on a ship one time, swallowed by a giant fish, lived in his belly for three days, spat up on the land again. Maybe he thought about Jonah and thought, yeah, I don't really want to do that. Or maybe he thought about the prophet Hosea, who uh, was asked to go and search out the town prostitute 
propose to her, marry this woman who would be unfaithful. God said, she's going to be unfaithful to you, um, but this is going to be a great illustration for my people. So Jeremiah, the young man, probably thinking, yeah, I don't want that either. Or maybe he thought about Isaiah, who for three years of his time uh, as a prophet for Israel, spent three years of that time walking around completely naked, again, to prove a point. And just to put the cherry on top, at the end of his life, ended up having his body sawed in two. So, you know, any of these prophets that Jeremiah could have looked to, you can imagine him saying, yeah, I want nothing to do with this. No interest at all. Fives in the Enneagram want to possess knowledge. They want to understand the environment. They want to have everything figured out as a way of defending themselves from external threats. I want to know what's coming. And if I know what's coming and it's dangerous, I'm just not going to go there. So perhaps Jeremiah wanted to avoid starting something that he knew he couldn't guarantee would be successful. This reminds me of something that Peter Senge from MIT talks about, skilled incompetence. He says it's a marvelous oxymoron used to describe most adult learners who are highly skillful at protecting themselves from pain and threat posed by learning situations, but consequently fail to learn how to produce the results they really want. Now, it seems reasonable to avoid being in situations where we can't guarantee success. But then being in those situations is really the only way for us to grow. We have to be willing to take that kind of risk. Fives experience deep insecurities about their ability to function successfully in the world. And to cope with this fear, fives often withdraw from the world and into the safety of their minds. Adam Kahane, another author, writes that we hold on to being right to protect our sense of who we are. Speaking of himself, he writes, I feared that if I was wrong, I would lose a vital part of who I was, that I would not just fail, but be a failure. Now, maybe Jeremiah was right. Maybe what he knew about himself and the task at hand gave him good reason to hesitate taking on the task that God was calling him to. But God wasn't interested in Jeremiah's perceived limitations, was he? Even if Jeremiah was right, that he was too young, that the task was too difficult, none of that was relevant to God. So in our workshop on Monday night, Krista gave us this example, this kind of visual example. She said, kind of put your hand out in front of you like this, like a fist. And she said that this fist kind of symbolizes your essence, like who you really are, who God created you to be at the core of your being, who you are as a person. And he said, our personality, or like she said, like our personality, or if you think about like the Enneagram number, it's like a, a cover that comes over this. And that's how we move about and live in the world with this covering, whatever that number is. And what she said that uh, understanding, when we come to understand what the Enneagram is all about, really what we're doing is we're loosening this cover on our lives. We're, we're allowing a little bit of space for that essence to break through and the essence of who we really are to begin to move in the world. And I thought that was a really good way of us thinking about this. You see, Jeremiah bought into a story of who he was and of the limitations that went along with that identity. And if we're not careful, we can end up doing the same thing. The passage continues. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Now this phrase, do not be afraid of them, literally means 
you must not be afraid from the faces of them, which is, of course, a very awkward sentence in English, but there, it helps maybe make it a little more real for us because sometimes it can just be a look on someone's face that discourages us from putting ourselves out there. People can be incredibly discouraging, can't they? A couple of weeks ago, I was chatting with some friends and I was kind of lamenting a recent experience at uh, the Service Ontario counter. Um, I have, until this week, had a red and white health card, which I'm pretty impressed with. I mean, that's like 30 years I've had that thing for, but I had an optometrist appointment and they said, we will not accept it as of July 1st. You need the new health card with the photo on it. So I went in to get uh, my photo and there was a huge lineup outside. I waited for half an hour and only to find out that um, it was taking too long. I had another appointment I had to get to. So I had to abandon the line. I went back the next week, got in line another half hour, got in this time up to the counter. They told me I did, had to have a passport. So I had to abandon ship again. Uh, third time, fortunately, the line wasn't very long. Um, but uh, I got in this conversation with this older gentleman who's behind me in line and we were talking about the world and, uh, and everything. And uh, the last person kind of, they came out of, of the door. And so it was my turn to go in. Uh, but this kind gentleman was in the middle of a sentence. And so I kind of put my hand on the door and I was just listening to him talk. And when he finished his sentence, I was like, nice chatting with you. And I went in. So I went up to the counter and I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, I am going to be as friendly as I possibly can to this person. There is no way I'm going to have a negative experience here. And so I went up and I just said, I just had a great conversation with the person out in line there behind me. And the person behind the counter said, yeah, I noticed. I was watching you standing there at the door uh, and I was wondering like, will he ever come in? Like, how do you respond to that? Like was the 20 seconds I stood listening worth more than this man's like self-esteem? Anyways, all of that to say, sometimes people can just be discouraging. In the same passage, when God calls out to Jeremiah, there's an echo of something that invites us to keep moving forward regardless of the discouragement that's in front of us, regardless of the threats that are out there. God says, I am with you. And there's an echo there of last week's story where God called out to Moses and said, I will be with you. Now, kids, this is where I want you to pick up your paper again. So hopefully you've got a picture of your foot traced and maybe colored in. And now what I want you to do is find someone else who has a bigger foot than you, and I want you to trace their foot around yours. So maybe it's an older sibling, or a grandma or grandpa, or a mom or dad, and hopefully their feet aren't as smelly as yours. So you're gonna trace that foot outline, so your foot will be in the middle, and theirs will be around you. Because when God says something like, I am with you, that's a reminder that even when we're afraid of something, even when we're concerned about doing something, or think it's, it's too difficult, I want this picture of the foot, your foot within a bigger foot to remind you that God is with you everywhere you go. Every step that you're taking, God is right there with you. So trace that foot as we continue to explore this story this morning. So God's challenge is for Jeremiah to believe him instead of believing the stories that are rattling around in his head or the faces that are out there intimidating him. Jamie Smith writes that Christian worship, what we're doing here, is an intentionally decentering practice calling us out of ourselves into the very life of God. And so here is the good news of the day for fives. God is omniscient, so I don't have to be. Now, omniscient is another kind of big word. It's a theological word, which essentially means all-knowing, that God knows everything that can be known. And so for someone, like a five, who wants to know everything before they kind of take that step, who knowing everything creates that feeling of safety for them, 
realizing that God is the only one who can truly know everything can be freeing. The problem with wanting to have everything figured out in advance in order to be competent is that I can't possibly know everything that needs to be figured out. So now, if I, or someone else, can somehow put two and two together, that God is with me, and that God is omniscient, God knows everything, it should start to become clear that I don't need to have everything figured out before I'm willing to leave the world of my mind and enter the real world. Dallas Willard writes that faith is a commitment to action, often beyond our natural abilities, based upon knowledge of God and God's ways. When we come to understand more about who God is, it's an invitation to live in light of that, what we've learned. I'm reminded of this other story. It comes from John chapter 14. Jesus is gathered with his disciples and he talks to them that he, he says, pretty soon I'm going to leave you because I am going to prepare a place for you, a great place for you. But one of his followers, Thomas, he, he says, Jesus, he says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? You see, he runs into this problem. He's like, if I don't know where I'm going, then how can I possibly get there? And Jesus' answer is powerful. He says, I am the way. You don't need to know where I'm going. You don't need to know the path ahead of you. You have to know me. Because if you know me, then you know the way. Because I will be with you. The call to follow Jesus is an invitation to let go of the need to know where we're going and to embrace the journey of faith. Back to Jeremiah, then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God empowers Jeremiah to be who he was created to be, to loosen the grip of his hesitation and let his essence shine on through the cracks. A number of years ago, I watched an interview um, with Anderson Cooper, who is an anchor on CNN. And I got the transcript because it was, it really struck me in part because both of our jobs, our professions involve communication. Um, and I thought there was a good parallel there for myself, but I think it applies to, to kind of all of us more broadly, especially those of us for whom competence is uh, perhaps a, a barrier or a roadblock in our journey of life. He said, I think the notion of a traditional anchor is fading away. The all-knowing, all-seeing person who speaks from on high. I don't think the audience really buys that anymore. As a viewer, I know I don't buy it. I think you have to be yourself and you have to be real and you have to admit what you don't know and talk about what you do know and talk about what you don't know as long as you say you don't know it. I tend to relate more to people on television who are just themselves for good or for bad than I do to someone who I believe is putting on some sort of persona. And so perhaps a healthier understanding of what it truly means to be competent actually includes a dash or two of incompetence for good measure, to keep us honest. Now, where Jeremiah's story goes after chapter one just brings it all home. Halfway through the book, in chapter 25, verse, 20, verse 3, this is what we read. For 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. All right, so quick translation for you. 23 years, no positive results. That's what Jeremiah says. That is his analysis. I have been working at this for 23 years and have nothing to show for it. 
Guess what? He went on to hold that post for 40 years through the reigns of the next two kings until the people of Jerusalem went into exile. They never did listen to him. We pick up the story in Jeremiah 52, verse 45. This is the very last chapter of this book. In the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. They encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. So for two years, the city is under siege. How does the story end? Well, the king was captured, the temple, royal palace, and the entire city were set on fire. The walls surrounding the city were broken down. The sacred artifacts of the temple crafted during the reign of Solomon were taken away and the people were exiled to Babylon. Which is another way of saying that Jeremiah did not succeed. God set him out to do this task. God said that he would be with him. Jeremiah was concerned because like, if I don't know, if I'm not going to succeed, I don't even want to do this. I don't want to go ahead. And in the end, in a sense, he didn't succeed, but he was faithful. And that's what matters most. And that is why the popular British preacher and teacher, G. Campbell Morgan, said among all the prophets of the Hebrew people, none was more heroic. Than Jeremiah. Let us pray. God, once again, I am grateful for stories, the stories of men and women of faith from so long ago that resonate so much with us here today. I'm grateful that I can read a story of someone like Jeremiah and recognize some of my own hesitancies, some of my own fears and concerns. But I'm also grateful that we have this story that is an invitation for us to trust you, to know that you are with us, and to know that even if the thing you call us to, even if what you invite us into doesn't end up succeeding, that it's our faithfulness that matters most. So call us forward, God. Show us the way, because you are the way. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, before you sign off here, just want to remind you that as we do every week, we're going to gather post-service for some discussion groups in our neighbors groups. If you've never joined one before, there'll be a link in the comments. If you click on that, uh, you'll be able to hop on a discussion to discuss some of the themes that I've introduced here this morning and just check in with people around the city. So it's been great connecting with you once again. Peace to you. Enjoy the rest of the week.